So today, we are finishing up this little study that we have done this fall on the book of Philemon. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you've ch- it's been challenging to you. Last week, by the way, if you weren't here last week, I, I very seldom ever say this, but I know we had a bunch of guys up at the retreat, maybe some of you. If you were not here last week, please go onto our website and watch the, the, the service. We tried to take the ideas that came out of Philemon, the ideas of grace, of, of love, of reconciliation, acceptance, forgiveness, and headed into the question then of how do we do racism within the church? How do we become that little slice of heaven? And we had a couple of our elders up. It was a bit of a panel discussion, but I think you will be encouraged. I think you will be blessed. I think you will be challenged. So make sure that you do that. So today we're going to capstone this one more time talking a little bit about Christians and politics. You may not have heard, but there's an election this week. So uh, I thought maybe this would be a pertinent time to talk about that. But next week, we're going to start our new study. It's on the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, the idea of what kind of vision will God build in your heart for what he wants to do. Nehemiah is about taking people who seem to just be normal, everyday people. He put a vision in their heart. They accomplished great things for him. And that'll run us right up until Christmas. So uh, looking forward to having you here. But this idea of at the end of, of Philemon, to me there's a couple interesting questions. The first question is just simply this. Why, why didn't... Paul just tell Philemon to give Onesimus his freedom. Um, In fact, some people, if you look at verse 21, think that he kind of was. Notice this, having confidence in your obedience, I write to you since I know that you will do even more than what I say. Um, So what happened? We don't know. Kind of an interesting piece of history is we do know that just at the turn of the first century, there was a bishop of the church of Ephesus kind of over that entire area where Colossae would be, and his name was Onesimus. So, because he he did a lot of writings. So was that the same Onesimus that was here? We don't know. We don't know, because it was a fairly common name. Uh, So but why doesn't he just tell them? And then that kind of raises the question, why didn't Jesus deal with it? I mean, it's kind of a political piece. Why, why didn't Jesus speak against slavery? And then, bigger yet, is how do you and I, in this experiment that is America, live our faith and do politics in a way that is biblically focused? So we're going to try to cover all this today. So hang on. A uh, lot of stuff. I'll try to talk really quick. The first question is, why the silence? And there's some arguments. There's some interesting arguments I just don't have time to get into today. Some would argue that slavery that you and I think of because of what happened in America and and, and the 
the brutality of it was really different than the, the slavery of the time of Jesus' day. Uh, where in a lot of ways it was more job-related. You know, people sold themselves into slavery for periods of time and then back out. Um, some would argue some different things. I, here's the argument that I would like to make that I think makes most sense. And, and it also actually, I think, speaks to other issues that we sometimes run into. And it's a theological argument. And, and it begins with this, that God has chosen to allow a fallen world to live in its fallenness. Have you ever stopped to think about that? When Adam and Eve sinned, God could have just finished it then, right? He could have taken Satan and cast him into the lake of fire then. He could have taken Adam and Eve, dealt with them, started over, decided it was too much problem, not done anything. He could have just done it then, but he didn't. He chose it to go on. It was different now. His relationship with man was different. Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden and it's a different relationship, but he allows it to go on. And what do we see? Immediately we see murder, right? Cain kills his brother Abel. You go a couple more chapters and we see polygamy, which was not God's plan. Uh, by the time you get to chapter 6, the, the, the wickedness of, of everyone's heart was so bad, now the flood has to come. So God just purposely chose that he was going to let us live in our fallenness. Now, that creates a problem sometimes for some of us, you know, because life is not fair. Stuff happens, and people say, well, you know, why would God allow this to happen? Uh, David argues, I mean, you, you read the Psalms, and it's like, God, why do you let your, my enemies who don't love you, you know, overwhelm me? And this question of God's justice, and why doesn't God do something? But here's the thing. Let's say God decided to do something. Let's say he decided 12 o'clock, straight up 12 o'clock on Monday at noon, he was going to wipe out all injustice. He was going to take out all sin. He was going to take out anything that causes pain in life and unfairness and inequity. It was going to be gone. Sounds pretty good, eh? Sounds like heaven, right? Here's the question. Which one of us would still be here at 1201 to enjoy that? Are you perfect? I'm not. Do you never ever cause injustice and pain to somebody? You know, I, I, I don't mean to, but I'm sure I do. You see, God has chosen to allow fallenness to go on. And he allows sinful practices to go on. That he, you know, today there's, even with some of what's going on in our country, there's this idea that, well, if you're silent about it, then you're condoning it. Well, be careful about that because God's silent about a lot of stuff that is not his plan. It's not what he wants. In fact, Jesus spoke specifically to this. Do you remember when... The Pharisees asked him about divorce. Is it okay for a man to divorce his wife for any means? And Jesus said no. And he said, well, wait a minute. Moses allowed, allowed us to do that. Do you remember Jesus' answer? Jesus said this. Because of the hardness of your heart, you are broken people. Moses permitted divorce from your wives. But from the beginning, it was not that way. This is not God's plan. This is not God's desire. But he's allowed a broken world to go on. And he allows you to, to live in this. And so God has allowed those allowances. Why? 
Why would God do that? Well, the answer is really clear. So that people can come to faith. So that there can be salvation. So that sometimes in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the brokenness, and we see it in our own soul, that we begin to look for that peace of of healing, that piece of, man, we, we know something's out of whack here. In fact, I had a breakfast yesterday. It was so cool. A young man was telling me a story of how God had been leading in his life. And, uh, and he shared with me uh, that just the night before, he had, just the night before, I was 12 hours late. I thought I was going to get to tell him about Jesus. 12 hours before, he asked Jesus into his heart and life. And, and it was so cool, and I could see the, the joy on his face, and it was, a, it was this, because that's what God does in all of us, right? He pursues us in the midst of our brokenness to bring us. And so, you know, even if we've been a murderer or an adulterer or uh, a liar or a deceiver or whatever it is, that in his grace now there is forgiveness this is exactly what Peter tells us in 2 Peter 3. He says, the Lord is not slow about his promise. And in the context there, his promise is to come and to establish justice. It is to return. He says, God's not slow about that as some men count slowness, but he's patient towards you because he is not willing or wishing that any would perish, but that all should come to repentance. Folk, if I don't know how life has been treating you, but maybe you're kind of one man, life's not fair. Well, it's not. We live in a broken world. But there's a God who loves you, who died for you, who will forgive you, who will make you his child if you will simply come to him by faith. Then here's the cool thing. Once we come to him by faith, what he does is he changes us on the inside. If a man is in Christ, he's a new creation. And now, as he changes us, we start gravitating back to living the way that God's ideals were. We start seeing his ways. You know, we, we start looking at what God's plan was and how we are to live with grace and we are not to lie and we're not to steal and we're not to murder and we're, we're, we're to, to deal with love with one another. Now, we're not perfect in that, are we? No, no, because we're still you know, living in this flesh. One day that'll come, we'll, we'll be fully redeemed. But that's what God does. So then, to me... That raises the question, okay, so as the redeemed that are here, the ones who have accepted Christ, God's changing our hearts. Now, how do we live that out in the political climate that you and I have? Because here's the thing. America is this experiment. It's different. You know, we, we forget it because we, we've been raised here, right? Uh, so the idea that we have a vote, that we have a voice, that we can affect politics is really different than what most of the world knows today and for sure what most of the world has known for the last 2,000 years. The American experiment of representative government is unique. So the question is, is so how do, I, how do I do this? How do I live this well? And it's not just for us, but what about the people in Russia? What about Christians in North Korea today? What about Christians in Malaysia who don't have a voice, who live in, uh, under rulers and, and, and leadership that are against Christianity? What does the Bible tell all of us about how are we to live this out? Well, a couple things. Number one, 
The biblical command to the followers of Christ, to the ones who have been redeemed, is pretty clear. Number one, we are to live with honor, respect, and submission to the ones that God has put over us. You know, Jesus has asked the question, you remember, should we pay the poll tax to the Romans? The Romans were the conquerors. The Romans were the invaders. The Romans were the dominators. They're trying to trip them up. And Jesus said, okay, go get me a coin with which you pay that poll tax, all right? Whose picture is on that coin? Well, it's Caesar. Well, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Give to God the things that are God's. We live in submission. So Paul, who now lives under the Roman rule, who, by the way, is eventually going to be put to death under Roman rule, what does he tell us? He, he is actually writing the Romans. This is how you live it out in a place that's kind of hostile towards Christians. And is every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. So let me take you back to Tuesday night. Whoever wins, Romans 13.1 is still there, right? You know, I, I was thinking that I've been the pastor here at Desert Springs... A long time. Uh, when I first came, I think President Clinton was the president. And then it was President Bush. And then it was President Obama. Now it's been President Trump. So if you know anything about politics, that's a pretty wide spectrum, right? Well, Romans 13.1 has always been there. So we have prayed for every president, right? Because that's what we're asked to do, to be in subjection. He adds in verse 7, uh, verse seven that same chapter, render to all what is due them, tax to whom tax, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Peter picks it up later. I, I would remind you that Peter's eventually going to be put to death, crucified upside down by the Roman government. What does he say? He says, submit yourself, why? For the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, the praise of those that do right. So what we are called to do is to honor, to respect, and to submit. Now you have the question, well, what happens if the government steps in and tells me to do something that's contrary to what God tells me? Well, the Bible speaks to that. The Bible tells us that if the government asks us to do something that goes against what the Bible says, we obey God rather than men, right? It's Acts chapter 5. The disciples are preaching the gospel. They're preaching the resurrection of Jesus, that there's salvation in no one else but in the name of Christ. The rulers, the leaders, the authorities come and they tell them they cannot preach that message. And they said, well, no. You know, that we have to obey God rather than men. So when, if the government gets to that point, I was thinking of my dad. My dad back, and it's funny because you've got to explain this to people now. It means I'm getting a little older. But do any of you remember the Iron Curtain? Right? Okay, for you young people, look it up on Google, right? Uh, of course, who knows what you'll get. But it, it was a, it, it was a, a place where communism was, and they, of course, were against the church, and you couldn't have Bibles. Well, we're supposed to have the Word of God. My dad used to smuggle Bibles into the Iron Curtain, right? Uh, and, and so when, when those things happen, but here's the thing. The idea then is, is that 
in submission, if you get caught, if, if, if there's retaliation because of that, that you handle that gracefully as from the Lord. So in Acts chapter 5, they say we have to obey God rather than men. You know what they did? They took them and they flogged them. They beat them. And this is what it says. So they went on their way from the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for the name of, of Jesus. So, you, you know, you're willing to go, all right, we're not doing this in a, in a you know, we're shaking our fist or whatever. We're just doing what God told us to do. And if there's consequences, we deal with, with those consequences. So, so we deal with submission, we deal with, with respect and honor, and of course, if it comes to that point where we have to draw the line and say, no, God tells us to do this, then again, we, we do that knowing that we may have to pay the consequences. But in a culture like ours where we have a voice, there's another truth that I think speaks to us, and that is, is that we are to be salt and light, we are to impact the culture around us. So we actually, now that we are in this, a society where we have a voice, man, I think this even becomes a, a part of that. Now, a lot of people don't understand these pictures. You know, we use salt to make food taste good. That's not what they use salt for. They use salt for preser preserving things. So they didn't have refrigeration. They couldn't throw stuff in the fridge or in the freezer. So you get a piece of meat, you can't eat it today. Because let's think, you, you kill a, uh, you know, a lamb or a goat, there's a lot of meat there. You can't eat it all in one day unless you're having a party. So how do you get it to last for a couple of days? Well, you pack it in salt. It keeps the decay away. That's why salt was so valuable. You've heard the expression, he's not worth his salt it's because they were paid with salt. It was very valuable. That's the picture here. Because it was used as a preservative. You and I are to live in such a way that we impact the culture. So in a culture where now we can have a voice in politics, I think it's important. And when you talk about light, the, the whole idea here is the world is in darkness, but we know truth. We know the reality. We know, we know that, hey, for instance, the truth of Proverbs 14, that righteousness exalts the nation, but sin is a disgrace. We know, you know, for those of us who are believers, we look at America, and again, with all of our, our warts and all of our things that we have not done, God has blessed us, and part of that reason is I think we have been built upon Christian principles, and we, you know, we have turned away from things, and and so we see our nation and we see where we're going and we see that we've kicked God out of the classroom and no prayer and you can't read the Bible and we've turned to an evolutionary thought pattern. And in 1973, we decided that it was going to be, we're going to get the good housekeeping seal of approval of killing children in the womb. And our hearts are grieved and we know that America has been great because God has blessed it. And so how do we, how do we now impact this to try to take it back to the ways that are honoring to the Lord. So I believe very strongly that in a place like America where we have a voice, when we look at what we are biblically told to do, I think we are to use our voice, to use our vote, to push for the ideals of biblical truth. Now, if I could break this down a little bit from, again, my experience, I've, I've got some miles behind me, right? The first thing is this, 
When it comes to voting, and, and by the way, you should vote. If you've not voted, you need to vote as a Christian. But here's the things I would encourage you to look at. Number one is that policy ultimately is way more important than the person. Because the people in politics come and go. I just told you all the presidents we've had in the years I've been here. And they come and go. But the policies they enact, the people they put into, into roles, those things are the things that tend to have the longer shelf life. And uh, I, I was, and you could probably see, we're trying to be very non-political in a political message here, right? Because I want it to be biblically based. Uh, so I thought here's one, because first of all, for many of you, you won't even know who I'm talking about, except those of us who, again, are mature. Uh, but it was actually both parties. So uh, the, the first president that I kind of remember, because I was in junior high, w w was a, you know, a bastion of integrity. His name was Richard Nixon, all right? And he got chased out of the White House. And, uh, but after him, there were two men that became president. First, Gerald Ford, and then Jimmy Carter. As best as I could tell, as best as I would believe today, they were men of much greater integrity. They were men who were, I think were good men, who, who, you know, weren't as deceptive. But I will tell you on a very practical level, for at least where I live, both of them, and one was a Republican and one's a Democrat, so I'm not taking sides here, both of them, their policies didn't really help people. In fact, created a lot of pain. And so the point is, is that, you know, you can get focused on, on the people, but the people will come and go. None of us knows what, you know, tomorrow holds. But you focus on the policies. And when you think about the policies, here's the thing you've got to understand. And, and, and this, I probably should have prefaced this with this point. I hope we can all agree on this. Can we all agree that there is no perfect politician? Does, uh, do, is there any pushback to that? All right. Okay, good. And can we agree that there is no perfect party? I mean, there's not, as a Christian, I can't look at any party and just go down the list and everything that I think biblically is a check mark on this. And so what my role now is, is that I become one who weighs, right? Weighs, what are the things that are of value? What I concerned about though sometimes as, as a Christian I want to weigh the things that I think more important than what God thinks more important. And I, and I, I don't know that we've ever thought through this biblically. So I want to challenge you this way. There are things and there are sins and there are issues that are bigger to God than to others. Now again, I, I feel the pushback. Well, you know, if you transgress one part of the law, you've transgressed the whole law, right? Sin is sin. We, we get that. That's true. But that does not mean that every sin is just as destructive as the other. There, there are sins that are, that are worse. I mean, have you ever heard of the Ten Commandments? Oh, by the way, there's a whole boatload more, but these are kind of God's top ten list. And oh, by the way, do you remember what sin number one is? That you will have no other God before me. 
That is the worst. Because when you screw that one up, it's going to affect everything else. That's why when you get to adultery, I should have gone and looked, but I think it's like number six or seven. Well, adultery is really bad. Well, it is. But if, if you're still following God and you commit adultery, you're kind of like David. Maybe you have that heart of repentance and you'll quit doing it and you'll make it right. But if you sinned against number one, you've made something else your God, you will continue on. There's worse sins. That's why when Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? He didn't go, oh no, they're all great. He didn't say that. He said, this is the greatest commandment. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Secondly, you'll love your neighbor as yourself. Do you remember when Jesus took on the Pharisees? He says, you tithe mint and dill, right? So these little herbs. You know, that's part of the law. Obedience, right? You remember what Jesus then said? But you neglect the weightier things. Mercy, justice. Those are, in essence, bigger issues. So what we have to do, I think, is we look at our culture and the issues that we're dealing with and go, okay, what are the big ones? What are the ones that are, uh, in God's eyes, that bring more shame, more repute, more negative consequence? And where does the different parties align on that as to how I'm going to vote? In fact, I think how we need to vote then is we align those things with what God's plan is. If you weren't with us last week, Quentin mentioned that, you know, all the social ills we deal with today, the answer to them is found in Genesis 1 to 11. And it's true. I mean, the fact that all men are created in the image of God. That, oh, by the way, he, he, you think about a policy of today, that he, he created them male and female. Very specific. That he made one man, one woman together for one lifetime. It's, it's just all there. So when we look at the things that God's eyes, life, those things that are so important, and then we put those things in the context of, okay, which one is close? It's not going to be perfect. There's nobody perfect. There's no party that's perfect. But now we become this way, and then we, we vote. And, and, and I think one of the things that we do is we get involved. But when we get involved, we do it like Jesus did. I mean, I appreciate Christians who get involved politically who have a passion for those that run. I wish we had more Christians that ran for office that would stand for biblical truth. I think, you know, instead of cursing the darkness, we'd be lighting candles. Man, if God's been put in your heart, I encourage you to think about it. If that would be something God would ask you to do. But here's the thing. You have to do it like Jesus did it. Jesus didn't lead with this politics because that was not his mission. Now, Jesus had political thoughts. Jesus had political perspective. Do you remember when he was told, hey, Herod is after you to kill you? He said, you go tell that fox, right? He knew who Herod was. He knew how slimy he was. He had an opinion. When Pilate goes, don't you know I have the ability to be able to release you or to crucify you? And he goes, no, you don't. The only authority you have is what's been given to you by God. That's who I've committed myself to. But see, Jesus, he didn't come to fix the politics. He didn't come that time to establish his kingdom. In fact, he said, if my kingdom were of this world, they would fight. 
They're not fighting. Because that's not why I'm here. He knew who he was. He knew what his identity was. And if I could just finish with that piece for me as a believer, I think this is the part that we've got to understand. We've got to live our identity. And by identity, it means who we are. It, it should be how we view life. Probably there's been one thing that has bothered me most going through this whole COVID thing. Is I begin to see that as Christians, we don't quite understand this idea of identity. And that our identity and who we are. See, the world loves to assign us an identity. I mean, if, if you're into the politics uh, and you're looking at the polling and you're looking at the voting by mail numbers and the early voting numbers, you know, it's always broke down. It's, it's broke down between the men that are voting, the women that are voting, the, the, the whites that are voting, the blacks that are voting, the Hispanics that are voting, the age groups that are voting. You know, the, what, what about the 17 or, well, they got to be 18, I think, to vote, don't you? 18 to 24 range and, and all of this. And they got it all broken down and who's showing up and who's not showing up. And, you know, and that's what the world tries to do to us. It tries to, you know, are you suburban or you urban and all of this kind of thing? And it tries to give us that as our identity. But the reality is, and we talked a lot about this last week, our identity is first and foremost that we are image bearers of our God. That, that we reflect him. And so we really in one way represent him there. But then now as a believer, because that's all people. But as a believer, my identity is even greater than that. Because now, because I belong to Jesus, I'm a, I'm a child of God. I'm a member of the family. And if you're a member of the family, we're brothers and sisters. We're joint heirs with Christ. Not only that, we're his ambassadors. He's gone to heaven. We're his hands and feet. We're supposed to be representing him here. That's our number one job, is to be his hands and feet to this world. And not only that, this world is not our home. Now, I want you to know, I love America. I think it's the greatest. And again, it's not perfect We've certainly made, and it's certainly not perfect today, but I think the freedom that we have had to be able to pursue the gospel, to worship our Lord. But I, I need you to know that my, my identity is not, number one, that I'm an American. That my identity is the fact I'm a child of God. I belong to him. This world is not my home. I'm living for that day when I stand before Jesus. That's who we are. And so how I do politics and how I do life here is I've got to do it in that prism that I am a child of God. I'm his hands and feet here. I, I, I'm not living for this world. No matter what happens on Tuesday, it's not going to affect my Wednesday. Because what? The king is still the king. And, and so that's how I'm going to go about this. And so we've got to live our identity and do it the way Jesus did it. Jesus had political tone, but that's not why he was here. He was here to give his life as a ransom for many. He knew his identity. He knew his purpose. You know, as Christians, we've got to understand that. There's, there's a verse... It's probably one you're not familiar with, but it's, it's a favorite of mine. It's in my favorite book, but it's, it's just, a, I think, such a word of wisdom to Timothy. Paul says this, no soldier in active service, who, by the way, we're all here in active service, right, of Jesus. 
were his ambassadors. No sir, soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who has enlisted him. Let me share how this works out for me personally. I like politics. So, Joe, I was going to mention this to you earlier. If I, God had not called me to the ministry, I probably would have become a lawyer, right? I like to argue. I like to make my case. Ask my wife. It's, she, she's learned to live with it, all right? And to be honest with you, I love our country. And I think that uh, there are some very clear political things. And as I said before, you know, we don't have a perfect candidate. We could have. I just... Uh, who you could have ticked every box, right? But God put a calling on my life many years ago, and that was to shepherd people. People all across the spectrum. And you know what? I don't have the freedom because I know that next week there's going to be 40% of you that are going to be disappointed. 40% of you that are going to be happy, 20% that's going to go, man, at least they didn't burn the place down. <laughs> my calling and my identity is I'm an ambassador for Jesus Christ to you, to shepherd and to lead. That's got to be number one. Did I vote? Absolutely I voted. But my thoughts, my ideas, that's not what's most important is my identity and what God has called me to do. Some of you, maybe he's called to be in politics. Great. Do it with love. Do it with grace. Do it with compassion. Live Jesus because that is your greatest calling. That is your real identity. You are a citizen of heaven. And God wants to use you here to make this place better. Hallelujah. We will support you in that. But folks, we have to live with our identity that God has given us, not our identity the world gives us.